Audio. This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am recording in the fancy Feral Audio Studios. I'm joined by an awesome guest, a great writer of many awesome animated shows. It's Nicole Dubik. Hello, it's Dubuque. Dubuque, damn it! See? I was just gonna oh, go. Gotcha. I was gonna go for a running try and try it. Uh, I'm sorry, Nicole Dubuque. Thank you so much, no and I'm so sorry. So, uh, so we actually met several years ago uh, at Convergence. Yeah. Where I thought I had memorized your name, and I was very much incorrect. Uh, and then we've been Twitter pals, and I've been enjoying seeing all of your various adventures in the world of animation. And I've been enjoying reading your Twitter. It makes me laugh every day. So oh, thank good. You. Yes. Good. I'm so glad. Uh, so can you tell people a little bit about uh, your writing adventures, what all you're working on? Oh, sure. So um, right now I'm actually at Hasbro. I'm working on uh, one show I can't talk about as an executive producer and one show I can. Um, <laughs> I'm working on uh, My Little Pony. I'm a story editor and executive producer there. And I'm actually writing some My Little Pony novels as well. So really? all pony all the time. <laughs> all pony all the time. And do I have this right that you uh, worked on Star Wars Rebels last season? I did, yeah, in season three. Okay. Are you, can you say if you're coming back for season four? I cannot say, but I can say it was an amazing experience working with those guys. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mind I, blown. Yeah. Now, were you a big Star Wars fan? Yes, I was. But I kind of came to the franchise late because I missed it when when I was born. It was um, I just missed it. I was 78. And so... Um, I actually saw them for the first time on Laserdisc at summer camp. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Did, so, did everybody at summer camp enjoy them? Was it like, did everybody already know them when you saw them? Everyone knew them, and they were blown away by the fact that I had not seen them. Um, and so they rectified that. And that was, I was 14, and that, that was like game changer. So I devoured everything that was available at that point. Yeah. That was Star Wars and read a lot of the novels and stuff, which is why it was super cool to write on Rebels and write Thrawn, because I had read those books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Did you get a lot of guidance on Thrawn, or were you able to explore your own Thrawn ideas? We talked a little bit in the room um, about kind of the, the different take on Thrawn that we were doing with Rebels, because he's a little bit different from the book. Yeah. And, um, but I, I went back and I reread all the source material, and uh, he's such a fun character. He's he's amazing. I mean, yeah. so yeah, getting yeah. to write that dialogue was just incredible. Yeah, and I think you all did a great job of really capturing this oh. very you know intense, intelligent man. Awesome. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, for My Little Pony, did it's... you first see that on a laser disc at summer camp? <laughs> I actually encountered G One Pony on my television, so I, <laughs> I watched back in the day. Um, yeah, so. I had some pony cred going in. Yeah. Is G1 generation one first generation yes, pony? Yes, yes. <laughs> that sounds like such a great band or hip-hop album. G1, G1 pony. pony. Yeah. Uh, so are is it all, because I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, obviously, is My Little Pony in the kind of same space that Star Wars is with all of the books and cartoons and TV shows that it is all one canon? And like you, if, if a character does something... If Rainbow Dash does something in the cartoon, then the novel happens in between these two episodes, or is it more loose than that? I'm pretty sure the books are canon with the series. Um, the comics, I was told at Comic Con that that they are now in canon, but I don't like you can't you know get me officially on that. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but there is serious um, story arcing done in Pony, which is really great. I mean, that fantasy storytelling is really well. We're going to talk about that today. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. Yeah. So it, so it is. Y- are there people you have to go to for, like, pony permission, though, for, like, I want to do this, we but I need to make sure that it fits into canon? Or is it just not – people just aren't as concerned about that? We don't have our Pablo Hidalgo, sadly. <laughs> we need one. Um, I think Megan is probably the person that we go to for that. Um, Michael Vogel has a lot of pony history in his mind. So, like, people are reading it higher up and saying okay. yes or no. 
Um, we used to have a gentleman on Transformers, Aaron Archer, who kind of covered that for Hasbro as well. So okay, cool. Yeah, it's super important to get that stuff right. Yeah, fans will spot that a mile away. Let's <laughs> <laughs> spot it a mile away. And yeah, I I, do, I think on one hand I find it sort of funny because it is so like so intense mm-hmm. about this uh, fantasy world. But on the other hand, I I love the canon because it rewards fans yeah. of you've been paying attention. And it's not like the way things used to be made. Now everybody who's making them is saying, like, we recognize that you are investing this much of your life right. in memorizing that Darth Vader is on this planet at this time. Right. So we will also respect that and we will, you know, reward you right. for yeah. knowing this true thing. And it makes it feel more real. Yeah. It, it, it makes you feel like you're in a special club, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're doing that for me. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was some pony truth for me. <laughs> uh, but your obsession today yes. is amazing. It is so great uh, because people sometimes have more broad obsessions or obsessions with things that are more popular. And this is something that I shockingly knew nothing about. So it was a delight to learn a little bit and learn even a bit more about the flight of the dragons. So that was a lot of words to say, you're weird, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. So it's flight of dragons. It's, um, yeah, how do you want to talk about this? How do we dive in? Can you just tell people what the flight of the dragons is because I didn't know and I want to hear from from your point of view what it is what it is okay well I'm gonna couch it in terms of how I encountered it first right so let me paint a little picture back in the day when we had the warehouse a video rental store <laughs> um, I was allowed on Sunday nights to pick out one video and so this was a very serious uh, choice I had to walk the aisles and look at all the illustrations <laughs> and uh, I was already a fantasy nut I already liked all kinds of creatures like we talked about I was into pony obviously yeah. so yeah, um, when I saw dragons on the cover of this thing, I'm like, I know nothing about this. I'm taking it home. So basically judging a book by its cover does happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, I, I took it home. I watched it, and I completely fell in love with it. And it's this um, Rankin-Bass animated movie um, from 1982. Um, and there's really nothing else like it out there. Uh, I, I showed it to my husband for the first time, and he turned to me about 25 minutes in, and he said, I understand you so much more now. This is you in video form. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure if I was influenced by it or if it just found me as like this um, symbolic soulmate. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that is my obsession with this movie. Okay, cool. Can you describe a little bit of the plot? Because it does have a really unique plot for fantasy, it feels like to me. Yeah, it does. It's... um. Okay, let me let me try this. So we start out in this magical realm with the wizard Carolinus, who explains basically to the viewer that there's a problem going on, that science is encroaching on magic, um, and that it's kind of killing off magic. He's losing his power. They have to do something. So he calls all his brothers together, and they're each a different type of magician in their different realm. And um, they have a little bit of an argument because Carolinus has this great idea that we're going to form this little realm where we can be safe and side by side with the science. And then his brother Omadon, who's the bad guy and is voiced by James Earl Jones, which is how I knew him first before Darth Vader. It's like, oh, they got that guy from Flight of the Dragons to do that voice. That's amazing. It's Omadon. Omadon is Luke's father. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so he's basically declares, no, you're not going to do this. We're not going to live in a retirement village. Um I'm going to take over. Men need me and my magic to make more and more science that's going to destroy them, and they're going to need my power. So this is when you get, like, this really scary imagery in, in children's television of the atomic bomb and stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah, um, Carolinus says, I need to get um, a quest going. He, um, <laughs> There are three that are needed for a quest, we're told. Um just because that's the rule, which I love that kind of storytelling where it's like, oh, sorry, that's the rule. Got to yeah. do it this way. There's an ancient rule exactly. of some kind for some reason. And that makes a lot of sense when you're seven. It's like, got it. Totally. Don't yeah. cross the street without your parents. 
sweet. Um, <laughs> yes, you always need three to go on an adventure. Right. Don't get in a stranger's car. It, yeah. <laughs> yes, the magic number and no candy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he goes to this tree and gets knowledge and finds out who he needs for this quest. And one of those people is the uh, the son of Great Peter, who taught dragons how to speak. Um, so he has to travel forward in time to find this descendant, um, Peter Dickinson. And he's kind of a nerdy guy who lives in Boston in the 20th century. And he's <laughs> created his own Dungeons and Dragons um, game, which strangely has pictures of the actual characters that we've just met, Carolinas and his dragons. Oh, OK. So this guy has got something going on, but he doesn't know it. So, uh, yeah. So Carolinas takes him back to his realm through magic. Um, everything's going great. We're setting up the people that are going to go on the quest. It's it's a dragon. It's Peter, and it's a knight. And then the the evil dragon um, comes is sent by Omadon to go and uh, Briag is his name. He's he's sent to go and <laughs> kill this Peter, and he flies with Peter away. And then this is the really exciting part. Carolinas yeah. throws magic at him. His dragon tries to save him, and then there's a big explosion, and oh my gosh, Peter is gone. So what we discover is that Peter's consciousness has been put into Gorbash the dragon, so our 20th century man <laughs> is now a dragon. Okay. This is Nicole Bate right there. It's like, oh my gosh, he turned into a dragon. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so now we need somebody else for the quest because we've just merged two of our characters. So we take another dragon, an older dragon named Smurgle, which I like that it's close to smog. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Um, and they go on this quest. And, and part of it is fish out of water, right? We've got Peter who's learning how to be a dragon. We've got the quest that we have to go get Omadon's crown because that's the only way we can stop this horrible thing he's going to do to the realm of magic. Okay. Um, and then there are lots of creatures along the way. So at that point, it really just becomes kind of a straightforward quest. But there are these random awesome moments that I don't think could exist anymore yeah. in storytelling like this, where there's like a 10-minute sequence where they have to go rob the dwarven mines to get gemstones to fill their bellies with dragon fire. And then Peter has to figure out what the science is behind dragon fire. And there's a whole discussion. And Okay, so the science does stay in the movie. It's it not just does. a thing that bookends it. Right, yeah. So that's why Peter has been chosen. He's a man who kind of straddles these worlds because he loves fantasy, but he understands science. And it's actually a very sad, poignant ending at the end. He has to essentially renounce fantasy to protect it. Really? Yes. So he defeats this uh, this evil villain by basically saying science words at him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which does not work. I have tried it. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And am I remembering correctly from my cursory research that Peter is voiced by John Ritter? He is, in fact. Yes. <laughs> Did you already have a relationship with John Ritter? Did you already know that that was that that's the the comedy guy from the sitcoms from? I didn't. I was like, wow, how did they get Peter Dickinson to be on Three's Company? It's amazing. <laughs> so everything came from the flight it, of the dragon. It dragons. really did. Okay, so at the end, he successfully destroys magic by listing science truths. So yeah, he's he's not truths even. He's just saying the names of like different branches of science. He's like, and philosophy <laughs> is one of them. That's what stands out in my mind. He's like philosophy, biology, and he's taking steps forward. <laughs> and the bad guy's like, no, no. So. <laughs> He goes as far as social sciences. That's to right. Destroy exactly. Fantasy. Yeah. He, he would run out of words. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then is it is it a happy ending then? It well it is, but it's bittersweet, right? Because Carolinas gets what he wants. Magic is separated. The dragons are protected. But you know, our main character has to go back to modern times, and um, and then also he ends up the, the woman he falls in love with ends up coming with him as well. Okay. So uh, there's a love story as well. Yeah. So do you, did you take the message as a kid or as an adult that? The message was science and magic are both good, but they need to be separate? 
So what I took from that was um, you need to stop the VHS two-thirds of the way through. <laughs> um, no, I think it was like, oh, thanks for taking care of that, Peter. I'm going to hang out in the fantasy world, but I'm glad that you you know, protected it. <laughs> Good for you and yeah. your psychology That's science. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, so did you, uh, did you see it as bittersweet as a, as a kid? Because it sounds like ultimately it's a happy ending that all the heroes, um, the hero's magic realm is saved. Peter goes back to Boston where he gets to still play D&D. Right. But with his awesome girlfriend from the magic past, right? right? Uh, so that all sounds happy, but did you perceive it as bittersweet when you were a kid or was that an adult realization? You know, I think I, I think it was as a kid because for me it was like, well, why would he want to stop being a dragon? Like that was <laughs> – you lose me at that point. Um, and it's – you know, it's so funny because I – I have seen it as an adult, and when I rewatched it before I came here, I watched it for the first time as an animation professional, um, which was totally a different experience and not super fun because I'm finding problems with hookups and like you know they call flowers golden at one point and they actually drew them as crimson and you know there's <laughs> there's inconsistencies in that regard, but there's also these crazy choices that you know when you have to write story every day you circle when you see another programming. Yeah. Like, at the end, you know, Peter ends up selling these magical things at a pawn shop. That's really sad. He just sells them? He just sells them. I mean, he needs money, right? But yeah. it's like, oh, here's the crown of Omadon that we just quested for. How much will I get for that kind of thing? It's just, so that's sad. Yeah, that's really sad. Right? I know. Because what, is he just going to buy D&D, like, miniatures? Or is so, he going to buy the monster manual with that? I think he's creating the game. So he okay. needs some seed money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh, that, that's really amazing. Uh, I just watched a few YouTube clips, and that was definitely what hooked me, is that on one hand it looked like, hey, if you're going to make a modern parody of fantasy tropes yeah. from like the late 70s, early 80s, just the most Tolkien sort of like straight down the line, that would be a part of this. But then obviously this really different and surprising and interesting science part of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. All mixed together right. into one thing. And I did. I read the Wikipedia page and I came across, I think, my favorite sentence I've ever read on Wikipedia which it is telling Peter's story, but it just says, In late 20th century Boston, Carolinas locates Peter Dickinson, a former scientist turned board game designer who is obsessed with dragons. That, to me, is just like, that seems to be the magic of it. Was that the magic of it for you, that it encompassed every kind of nerddom? I feel like if I read that on a Tinder profile, I'd be calling that guy. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was it. I think this was my first entry uh, into the into the realm of, of the quest story. I mean, okay. because it, with children's books is basically what I had I had read up until that point. Because I was I think I was like six when I saw this movie for the first time. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so um, which by the way, it became a staple. You had to rent it for my birthday party every year, and I think I think around the time I was thirteen, my friends were like, you know what, cool, but <laughs> there are other movies. So, yeah, apparently my destiny was set early, but um. <laughs> Yeah, um, I feel like that was that was part of the magic for me. It's the first time I saw that kind of story told. Yeah, and so it wasn't referential to anything to me. It was its own piece. Yeah, yeah. And did you relate to any specific character? Did you like see yourself in Peter with the fantasy of being merged with a dragon? Um, I think there was like an archer character. Right, right. Did, who did you see yourself as when you were watching it? And... Oh, definitely, I wanted to be a dragon for yeah. sure. Like that okay. was super cool. There's also a really neat wolf in there. So when I go back and read the stuff that I wrote when I was around this is era, it would have been like there would be wolf in it for sure. There'd okay. be dragons in it. There'd be magic. <laughs> you know, borrowed heavily from that uh, from that world. But okay. um, yeah, did it open doors for you immediately? Like, did you? want to go play Dungeons and Dragons 
that. Yes. Um, although was not aware the game existed, right? So my, my friend's um, brother used to play it. So he would just bring out his, his monster manuals, and I learned about the dragons. and Yeah. Yeah. But there was a lot of, like, imaginative play that involved, oh, my gosh, we were turned into dragons. Now what are we going to do? That was about <laughs> the extent of it. <laughs> okay. And so it sounds like you had compatriots in this obsession. Like, it wasn't like you were just watching it alone. That it was at birthday parties. Right. Um, and then did you have other friends who were into it? Yes, I did. Um, very, very kind friends who were just like, sure, that's fine. So I had a friend who would, she would be the wolf on the quest. And okay. I somehow we ended up getting a cheetah there too, but I think that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, we did a lot of storytelling at recess. And again, it was kind of kicked off by this movie. Yeah. And it sounds like you kind of got to be the, the head writer of the playground writer's room. <laughs> I guess I directing. did. Directing. <laughs> like, here's the role you're going to play. Here's the role you're going to play. Uh, did you try out other fantasy then because of it? So I started reading um, more uh, fantasy novels around fifth grade. But, yeah, like I, I read a lot of Piers Anthony at that time. And then um, I got to Robert Jordan. So, yeah, I, I kept reading fantasy throughout. There okay. was a moment when I just – if it had a dragon on the cover, I'd read it. So Yeah, yeah. and I think that's fair. Do you Did you retain that? Because now we have so much sci-fi. We have so much fantasy that, you know, back in those days, there were only so many covers at the video right. store that had a dragon. So that was sort of a legitimate – reason to pick something. Right. Do you still do that? Do you go into Barnes & Noble and go, which book has a dragon on it? Sometimes. Now it's more like, you know, I read a review first or have a friend say, check this out, because it's you know it's easy to get fatigued with all the different worlds you have to learn. And now, yeah. writing professionally, I have so much fake history in my head, <laughs> I have to be really choosy about what else I put in there. Right. That is kind of the dark side of the canon we were talking about, right, of right. like, in order to truly enjoy something, you sometimes have to invest a lot of time. Sure. And it feels harder now because there is so much more. It's like, you know, you need more dedication and more time to be what is deemed a true fan in some ways. Which, yeah. That's sad. But, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And you didn't have to experience that with right. Flight of the Dragons. There's no gatekeeper, right? The right. video store guy didn't go like, what are all the sciences that Peter lists? That's right. You have to tell me or you won't be a true fan of Flight of the Dragons. <laughs> um, did you eventually follow any of the actors just because they were in the movie? Like, did you try – when you found out that Peter is the star of Three's Company, did you make a point to watch Three's Company just because it had the Vegas connection to Flight of the Dragons? That's really funny. I, You know, and, and I started out as an actress, but for some reason as a kid, I never really put it together that there are actors doing these voices. Those okay. people were those people. So, no, I didn't really chase down any of the actors. I mean, only as an adult did I even look up the writer to find out, you know, what else he had done and – uh I wish I had yeah. followed them more, <laughs> but no. Well, I mean, they were sort of in culture. So you, you followed right, them through right. James Earl Jones, sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, who is the writer? Oh, I just I wrote down his name, too, and I've forgotten already. He wrote the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer okay. um, special as well. He wrote an episode of Thundercats, which I was thrilled by because that yeah. was another thing I loved growing <laughs> up. Um, but yeah. So you did then, uh, as an adult, seek out his, yeah. his work? Yeah, yeah. I checked it out. Okay, cool. So obviously... It sounds like the fantasy is what mostly grabbed you. Right. And the science certainly made it more interesting. Mm -hmm. But how did that battle affect you, having seen it a lot and having that uh, discussion so prominently there? Were you always just a, like, I'm not interested in science and math person? Or did knowing science and math from The Flight of the Dragons make you go like, ah, I should get into some of Peter's stuff too? That's interesting. You know, I I never had a, a negative reaction to science as a result. I kind of felt like it was a powerful thing just because he'd use it to defeat, even though he's just saying words, he used it to defeat the bad guy. Um, so, no, I was actually, I was pre-med in college. I mean, I, oh, I always, really? yeah, I always liked science as well. So Okay. 
you know, I guess you have to know science if you're going to protect the magical realm is yeah. what I took away from it. So. <laughs> All right. So at one point you're going to be an actor. At one point you were a pre-med. Right. And then did you make a conscious uh, career choice to say, I'm going to be a writer now? Or is it one of those things that happens to a lot of people where you just sort of fell into it? I kind of fell into it. And then it was like looking back, it's like, oh, it was always really easy to do well in English classes. I've always been writing. Why did I not see this sooner? Okay. Yeah. But, uh, did you ever connect, once you started to go into animation, did you ever connect back to Flight of the Dragons as like an origin story? You know, it took me a long time to even get back to that. You know, I, I guess I felt like I carried it with me, so I didn't need to go back and, and visit that touchstone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and just kind of turn around and look at it. Right. Uh, yeah, because eventually. But I feel like when I bring it up, a lot of people have not seen this movie. So, man, I hope people go check it out because it's awesome. No, when you sent it to me, I looked it up and I did the research. And it was honestly one of those like uh, Berenstein Bears alternate universe of like, have I slipped into an alternate universe? Because how could I have not known about this movie? Right. Um, I mean, it's clearly just kind of like a. it didn't get a huge wide release. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the only options available for fantasy of that era. Right. Made by Rankin and Bass, uh-huh. and also just kind of a weird movie. And I've done mm-hmm. lots of work uh, with Riff Tracks and other, have tons of friends who just love weird movies. Right. And it feels like this is, it's not a bad movie, but it feels in some ways like this sort of like animation version of like The Room. Like people should be aware of this because it's <laughs> yeah. so its own thing and so sure. odd. So I'm just kind of shocked that I didn't know about it. I know most people know The Last Unicorn, which is kind of the same era, and it's Rankin Bass, you know? Yeah. So they're kind of like siblings in that regard, but they're very different movies. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So now that you uh, are an established writer, and, and that is that is your path, you're not pre-med anymore. No, I, I got it locked down now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think writing is more magic or more science? Are you more Peter or are you more the dragon in your actual work? Oh, I'm always going to be the dragon, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, writing is magical. Writing is, you know... That moment when you look back at your watch and three hours have passed because you've just been living in this world with these people. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're just enjoying the fantasy world I think, of it. Yeah. I think that the science comes in when you have a deadline and you're out of ideas. And then you just <laughs> start doing what you have to do. And then it, it causes the magic to follow. Yeah. 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 Now, I remember when we met at uh, Convergence, yeah. uh, I did a an interview mm-hmm. with you. And I, I asked specifically about some of the budget limitations of mm-hmm. animation. And that stuck with me because mm-hmm. you were one of the first people who, who told me some great tidbits about, like, uh, having characters in the water or having characters uh, holding onto a rope together. Right. <laughs> I just always have loved that image. So is there a part of it there, though, that becomes science because it's very much about rules, what you can and cannot do. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's kind of a framework. But then again, see, this is so weird because magic, I mean, especially if you're playing D&D, there are rules, Yeah, you know, but you can operate within those rules. And so part of the magic is the creativity that you can pull out of that stuff, you know, Yeah, um, to use things maybe not the way they were intended, if that makes sense. But this is totally sidebar, but I, do you mind if I just... Please, say, sidebar. Okay, I don't know how they made this movie because looking <laughs> at it, like... When I was watching it recently, the character designs are ridiculous. They would never get approved. There's so much detail. Okay, just like there are too many, like, buttons and bows oh on gosh, their costumes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, Gorbash the dragon must have, like, I don't know, 75 lines down his stomach. Okay. And somebody has to hand draw each of those, right? <laughs> and these are cells that were painted. I have one. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I should have brought it and showed you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, I mean... There's sym- there's no symmetry in some of the characters, you know? Okay. I mean, I know designers who would just be like, nope, not doing it. Absolutely not doing it. Right. So w- from your professional perspective then, how did this thing get made? Was it that 
Rankin and Bass just had that this kind of standard of we're just going to do what we want to do. Yeah, Did somebody I... screw up? Did it cost too much <laughs> and they got fired? Is that... I have no idea. I feel like they've got some really solid voice talent. So maybe this was intended to be a, a big blockbuster. Maybe they had budget because this would be huge to budget now. Yeah. Because um, I figure it must have been hard to get James Earl Jones when they did. Yeah, because right? it was early 80s, right? Right. Uh, and it was, was it direct-to-video? Is that how it came out? I don't know. I know it was a special on television, and I'm not sure if that was the first time that it was shown. Okay. But uh, but it was made in the early 80s, right? It was, yeah, it was 82, I think. 82, yeah. okay, yeah. So, yeah, James Earl Jones. Right, he's got cred. Everyone in the world is right. Darth Vader, right. is your bad guy. Right. And John Ritter might have been a weird choice, but certainly a known choice. <laughs> right. And then I, I think, isn't uh, Harry Morgan in yes, it as uh-huh, well? Harry yeah, Morgan. Yeah. Which he was also established. So, yeah. yeah. You got Three's Company, you got MASH, you got Star Wars. That's a power How movie. How are people not seeing this movie? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so do you, have you ever tried to dive deep into the history of the thing itself? Like, obviously, you, you got the animation cell. Yes. So you have tried to, like, dive behind the actual story to the production a little bit. Right, yes. Um, so what's really kind of cool about it is it's kind of adapted from two books. Okay. And, the, and here you go. One's fantasy and one's science. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm noticing a theme. <laughs> the first one is actually uh, called The Flight of Dragons by Peter Dickinson. So they used his name and made him the main character. Oh, um, that's the actual that's author's, the author's name. name. Yeah. And it's this weird, like, um, science book that kind of talks about how dragons would have existed. So that's where the science part of the dragons in the movie comes from. Okay. And they talk about, you know, this whole thing about what gives dragons lift when they fly. And, you know, they actually have to expel fire if they want to land because it's really cool. Okay. Yeah. Really fast. They eat they eat diamonds that serve as, like, gravel in a bird's craw to break up the limestone because when the limestone hits the stomach acid, it releases hydrogen gas, and that's how they fly. <laughs> but when they want to blow fire out, they have to put the hydrogen gas past their Thor's thimble, which is in the roof of their mouth that has an electric spark, okay. so it ignites into flame. So this is what this book detailed. Um, no character at all, except for the, the character design of the dragons is kind of based on what the book's um, illustrations are. So the okay. front cover actually appears in the movie as the, the cover of the board game that okay. Peter shows and, and the book he's going to write someday. So then there's this other book by um, Gordon R. Dixon, and he wrote a whole series of these called The Dragon and the George. And that's where they draw the characters from and, and kind of a little bit of the story. The movie exists in its own space. It's not a direct uh, translation from either of those. Okay. So, yeah. So that's where you get the dragon swap with the human brain, and you get some of the characters like um, Sir Orin Neville Smythe and Arg the Wolf. and yeah. Some of the more traditional just fantasy right. elements come from the other right. book. And then Peter Dickinson is, is, the science, is this science guy. guy. Yeah. All right. So you clearly really like the dragons. You're clearly into the fantasy. Yes. Was it at all? It clearly wasn't when you were a kid any sort of killjoy vibe to hear exactly how the dragons worked. No, it was super cool. It actually made it more legit. Yeah. Yeah. So now in your mind as yeah. a child, why did it make it more legit? We're did you watch other fantasy and go like, these bullshit dragons don't make any sense? <laughs> <laughs> I had opinions about dragons. Um, <laughs> but for this, it was just like, oh, that's so cool because it just it just logic logically made sense. I don't know that, that, that somebody had taken the time to explain it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. If there was a remake 
Would you want Neil deGrasse Tyson to be in it? <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If there ever was a remake of this movie, like, they could do a live-action remake, right? Yeah. Oh, man, they, they need to call me. we got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just so fascinated by that uh, science and magic mashup for lots of different yeah. reasons because uh, what's actually being said in the movie seems to be fun to parse. But also I just feel like a lot of the tension just in our cultural discussion right now between right. science and fantasy is like you know there's the Neil deGrasse Tyson joke like he he's obviously a great guy in that but he does come across sometimes on Twitter almost like he is being a killjoy on purpose mm-hmm. of like saying yeah, the Star Wars movie was good but the ships don't make noise in space and like right, right. we know right. we know uh so to imagine something that manages to combine them in a way that is not taking away it's not well actually mm-hmm. the fantasy right <laughs> <laughs> and not saying like you know well here's why you shouldn't that's what it is I feel like sometimes actual applications of science mm-hmm. can come off as here's why you shouldn't enjoy your fantasy. Right. Because let's get back to reality. Right. You know what? I think what the the movie does is sidestep that because it's one dragon explaining to another how this works, right? Smirtle okay. is basically teaching Peter as Gorbash how to be a dragon. And so Peter's figuring all this out and is really excited about it. And Smirtle is kind of rolling his eyes and like, we breathe fire because we're dragons. That's all you need to know. <laughs> so you have both of those viewpoints there. But Smurgle acknowledges that, like, okay, it's making Peter happy to do this explanation. And Peter realizes, oh, I should I should use Smurgle's terms so I don't tick him off. So it's kind of a nice hand-in-hand oh, hand yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. So it's saying you can, you can approach this both ways. Right. The fire is going to come out whether right. you think about Thor's – what was – Thor's thimble, yeah. Thor's thimble. <laughs> or it's just we're dragons, so there's fire. Right. Is there any part where, besides the end, mm-hmm. where Peter's – more scientific understanding that he applies it. Does like is there a part where like he flies better because he understands air pressure or anything like that? He never really gets good at flying, um, <laughs> and he's horrible at fighting the ogre. But when he <laughs> when he faces off with the giant worm, um, he discovers that the worm has um, acid slime, and so that he can he can ignite it. Okay, and so that's how he defeats. So that's another science kind of. Yeah. Thing there that he, he figures that out. So he's using actual science using knowledge. Actual science, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, that's a that's a real F yeah pro science right, moment. Right. Yeah, that's nice and celebratory. Blow stuff up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you thought as an adult, if you could merge and be a dragon, mm-hmm. what you would do? Oh, uh, in this world, what yeah. I would do? See, that's the thing. Like, we're kind of limited, right? So, like, in Pete's Dragon, that's basically the, the remake of Pete's Dragon. You basically have to go live in a very, you know, far away area that's okay. mostly wooded to survive. Yeah. But, yeah, I'd be, man, that'd be awesome to be a dragon, <laughs> see? Um, yeah, have you have you ever thought about that? About being a dragon? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I ask a lot of people a lot of weird questions no, on yeah, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just I curious. try so, like, to be fair and think about them myself. Yeah. Yeah, I think there would be that fear of loneliness because mm-hmm. you you suddenly have all of this power right. that you can use to sort of get what you want out of basically intimidation. Right. But then mo- which immediately sounds cool when you're having a frustrating day and you're like, <laughs> I could fly through traffic. Yeah. And then if, you know, somebody's rude to me at Chipotle, I can be like, I will start this whole place on fire. Like whatever. Right. Like, there's that utter wish fulfillment. But then the reality of it is like, yeah, you would have to be a little separate from society and you'd right, have right. to make your, your little human friends. Right. Who want to live in the woods with you? That's the thing. You got to make your little human friends, right? And then occasionally appear like on camera, like Loch Ness monster it up, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure the flying would be pretty amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. To just soar, soar <laughs> like a dragon. Um, did you ever have a time where you were away from Flight of the Dragons? Because it sounds like you saw it uh, really young as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and then your friends said, "Give us a break at birthday parties right. and play something else." Uh, 
Was there a time then when you were away from it and then rediscovered it? Yeah, there kind of was. I mean, I kept reading fantasy all throughout, but um, you know how it is with obsessions. I feel like you have years that you just are obsessed with different things, yeah. right? So I went through a total Jurassic Park phase where that took over my life. Okay. And then Star Wars also, just completely everything, whole room decorated in that. Um, so that was kind of like, I think through high school, maybe Flight of Dragons kind of slipped off a little bit. Okay. Um, I found it again in college, though, and, uh, and I think that's when I read all the books. I think I was went and searched to find out okay. about what it was based on and then okay. and read those novels. When you rediscovered it in college, did mm-hmm. you reintroduce it to the, the new friend group? I did, yeah. I, ha- I had, again, very tolerant roommates who were like, let's watch cartoons. <laughs> Seriously, the Batman-Superman hour was right before um, dinner break, so oh, my yeah. friends would all just like get around TV and watch cartoons with me. So. That's awesome. Was yeah. this a uh, pre-med? Pre-med Batman-Superman? <laughs> it was not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you have been blessed with good friends, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, would you, we talked about it a little bit, but would you want to do a remake of Flight of the Dragons? and be in charge of it yourself. That's so hard, right? Yeah. Because that's... I always caution people that sometimes when you work on the things you love, they will break your heart. Yeah. Because you have to service a bunch of different masters. You're never really actually in charge, per se, you know? Yeah. There's always executives, there's demands, there's sales, you know? There's... The cultural world you're writing in now is different from when it was made. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, that's a really hard question. No, I mean, I think that the movie is perfect. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't change it. Okay. Yeah. I think you'd have to do a different version of it. Yeah. You know, give it a reason for existing instead of just being a one-to-one remake. Yeah. Well, it seems like it has a meta premise Mm -hmm. in that Peter Dickinson was the author Mm -hmm. and he was real. So if somebody just came to you, if I won the lottery and I came to you with an insane amount of money Uh and said, will you make a sequel to Flight of the Dragons? Yes. But the story is now that you, you Nicole, get to be in the movie mm-hmm. because now the story is you discover the video as a child, and then they realize we need somebody who is a fan of the original Flight of the Dragons. I like your pitch, and also <laughs> go make a lot of money the lottery so we can do this because that'd be amazing. <laughs> My gosh, excellent. <laughs> hey, you know what? This is so random. I want to bring this up too. Yeah. Okay, so Carolinas the wizard has an ulcer. Okay. Like, that doesn't happen in children's movies, right? That He just has an ulcer throughout, and at one point they're going to toast with cider, and Peter's like, oh, you know what? Maybe try some milk instead, because that's what my friend does. And so he changes the cider into milk, and then he's like, oh, yes, cider makes evil magic in the stomach. So, again, it's like one of those science magic things. Yeah. But, like, I mean, it's so cool that there's a wizard with an ulcer. Come on. <laughs> he's kind of got, like, a slightly lazy eye, too. Like, all these choices, <laughs> I love them so much. Is it the lazy it... eye addressed scientifically? It's not. It's yeah. not. And um, and maybe Carolinas is just tired or it's an animation quirk. But, you know, I just I thought it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, so it just it made the characters feel more real. real. Yeah. Yeah, and the ulcer thing is great because that almost feels like that sort of writerly detail. Like right. Like somebody either had an ulcer or had a relative with sure. one. Like, here's another thing that we can throw in. Yeah. Yeah, and there's another thing that uh, Peter solved with science, right? Right. Yeah. Was he a dragon when he suggested drinking milk? No, he milk? was a human at that point. <laughs> and there's a real issue, right, because the dragons have eaten all the cows in 20 miles, so yeah. that's why Carolinas has to use magic, because, like, yeah. So the the dragons just clearly eat cows. They eat cows. Is there animation of that? There are. There is no animation, but they, like, they threaten to eat dwarves at one point. Like, there is, there is death and demise. Like, the wolf that comes back is dead at the bottom of the ocean. 
Really? Yeah. But then one of uh, Carolinus's brothers comes to him and says, I will let you live again, but you got to do this thing for me first and go save these, uh, okay. these guys. So, I mean, like, there's there's full on death. Oh, my gosh. And spoiler alert, one of the main characters dies. I mean, really? Yeah. It's, yeah. Does Peter pop in and explain the science of resurrection? <laughs> he does or do not. they just conveniently leave that alone? <laughs> they must they, they must have skipped that part. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a serious stuff. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is so funny to me, like I was saying, because it, on the surface, it looks right. very traditional. Uh-huh. But clearly, there's a lot to be discovered. Yeah. Is there any other, like, real world stuff, like ulcers? Oh, let me think what else um, there might be. I don't know. I mean, it's also like. They went really diverse with all the brothers are a different nationality, which I think okay. is super cool. Yeah. And um, that's not scientific, but it's just like these choices that were made in this film. I just, it's amazing to yeah. me. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff we could not do today, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at one point, okay, this is not science again, but I feel like I need to tell you all these things because oh, it's so exciting. Um, the the Melisande is um, the adopted daughter of Carolinus, okay? And so she's kind of serving as the crystal ball because she can far see. So she's telling him what's happening during the quest because he's at home. Okay. At one point, um, there are these crazy creatures called the sand mercs that if you hear them chittering, you go crazy. Okay. Okay? And she is relaying this, and it makes her crazy too. And at one point, she starts screaming to Carolinus, you lied to me. You told me my parents were killed by demons. You did it. You know? And it's like, whoa. Wow. What? What? And as a kid, I remember being like, "What? What is going on here?" Like that really confused me. That that's the part I can be like, "I don't understand," because I hadn't, I didn't know why the sandmarks were making her crazy. I thought she was just like getting angry for no okay. reason. So yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah. Did that? Did you ever like write stories to figure out to fill in that gap? About what happened with her parents? Yeah. No, because she wasn't an interesting character to me at all. Okay. <laughs> it was like an elven princess. What? No. <laughs> we had dragons. I did yeah. write dragon fic. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So you have said a couple of times that they're making choices that you wouldn't be allowed to make today. Yeah, sure. Is that just because it, things are too dark, too confusing, too off brand? I feel like all of those things would be a note you would get. I mean, definitely too dark. I mean, the reason that Gorbash even exists because he's also adopted um, is that we see all the other eggs in his clutch being eaten by a bad dragon. OK. You know, so we couldn't show that. Yeah. We couldn't baby dragons getting killed. Um, <laughs> There's no ponies eating ponies. No. Well, not pony. yet. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So so things like that, they just seem like these bold, interesting choices. And they're choices. That's the thing. It's not just like, oh, we're just doing this. Or at yeah. least that's how it seems to me. So when you watch it, do you get that sense that... Uh, it really makes sense to the writers, to the people who are creating it. Like, uh, like I like David Lynch a lot, and it's because I don't feel like no matter how weird it is, it always feels like no matter how weird it is to me, it makes sense to you. Right. And that gives it some sort of honesty right. and separates it from stuff where there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Right, yeah. With big brand stuff. So is that the feeling like... This, no matter how weird the choice is, it made sense it made to sense. somebody. Yeah, you feel like you've got an animation auteur doing this yeah. or something, right? Because this is the vision and it is happening. Yeah. There's just the specificity of things like it's um the limpid pool of time is what it is called. Okay. I'm like, I love that you chose an adjective like that. And they make a joke about it. You know, like, I'm a wizard. I should know a limpid pool of time when I see one. You know, <laughs> but it's like that's those things make it fantasy. You know, that's yeah. the specificity you see in Tolkien. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think a thing that we have lost a little bit in some of our modern storytelling, mm-hmm. and I, I like um, a ton of big brand stuff, mm-hmm. but a need to explain. And I think that 
I think of it as tip of the iceberg storytelling, where yeah. a character in world just says something like everybody should know what that is, uh-huh. and there's no effort to turn and tell you we call it limpid because right. blah 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 blah, right. and it just makes you feel it feels rich because it feels like right. it's a real world, right? And that maybe there's another story to tell uh-huh. someday, yeah. Of why it's called limpid, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're just put into that world. Yeah. Yeah. And you just get to sit there and wonder mm-hmm. until Peter explains it to you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. So these are questions that I ask uh, all my guests over all the podcasts. Uh, first one is, do you think about the flight of the dragons every day? I do not think about it every day. Okay. How often do you think it just sort of uh, uh, flaps through your mind like a dragon in the sky? <laughs> I would say probably, oh, I don't know, every every couple of months at least. Okay. Yeah. Do you watch it regularly as an adult do you like if you realize it's been a year and i haven't seen this no not as regularly as a kid okay yeah yeah it's about every five-year movie about every five years yeah Yeah. okay but it's it's so internalized right yeah yeah i can say the dialogue with the movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i i do feel like not not to force like a nicole origin story but it just it does seem like with the job that you ended up with writing animation this is my radioactive spider absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah that there's something that you encountered early on that clearly had an effect would you get a the flight of the dragons tattoo oh gosh I don't have any tattoos. I've often thought if I got a tattoo, what would it be? Dragon Wars with Griffin, because Griffins are also very important to my okay. life. But uh, that's a high contender, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Dragon war- Wars, like a dragon in a war with a griffin? Oh, no, in my mind. Like, what's cooler, a dragon or a griffin? They, okay. They're having the battle all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for the tattoo, just in general. Just in general, yeah. Like, you're stopped at a red light, and uh-huh, you're just like, like, damn it, oh. which is cooler? And then someone honks, and I got to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, if you got a Flight of the Dragons tattoo, yes. what would it be? Would it be Peter? Which which dragon did Peter merge with? Gorbash, and it would Gorbash. absolutely be Gorbash. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice big bold Gorbash. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe just like the head of Gorbash. Just the head of Gorbash, yeah. uh-huh. uh, with or without flames. Oh, I hadn't thought of flames because he's got this kind of cute expression. So maybe okay. just like a, a sweet Gorbash. A sweet Gorbash. <laughs> Post eating cows. <laughs> that would be so great if you like uh, if you got it on your shoulder. Yeah. You know, at San Diego Comic Con. Uh huh. Very hot out. And just. See if anybody walks by oh my and just gosh. goes, sweet Gorbash tattoo. <laughs> that would be amazing. Have you tried to engage with people at San Diego Comic-Con? Uh, since that is a place where you're going to encounter people who like almost anything. Have you ever tried to just talk start to up a Flight of the Dragons conversation? I haven't, no. I, I have not talked with a lot of people about this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like next year I should. Yeah, absolutely. You should mm-hmm. do a panel. I just got a T-shirt. I went online. I was researching right before I came here. I went online to see if there's any merch to be had. And yeah. someone did a fan version of a shirt. So okay. I'm excited. I'll wear that to Comic-Con next Okay, year. yeah. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to follow up about your animation cell. Yeah. Uh, how did you come across that? Did you seek it out or was that a surprise? I have been hunting one for a long time. They're really hard to get. Like, yeah. Um, and then this one I got on eBay. Um, and I it's not a dragon. I really want to get a dragon cell at yeah. some point. But I saw Carolinas and I'm like, I will have that. You know, okay. It's so important. But you you searched it out. I searched it out. Yeah, I'm always searching. Like, okay. that's that's probably why I think about it every couple of months is because I hit the internet searching for cells for sale from that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you do when you, you just have like an alert to be like, rem- remember to search for the cells? No, most of my internet time comes from I'm stuck at a certain point in a script. And I'm okay. like, I'll go do something else for a moment. Oh, I'll search eBay for Flight okay. of Dragon cells. I admit I thought that's probably what it was, right. but I didn't want to assume. 
So I let you say it instead of <laughs> saying it myself. But understandable. That's really cool. I will keep my eye out for a dragon cell for Flight of the Dragons. Cool, thank uh, you. When I'm stuck on my writing. Uh, if you were being launched into space and you could only take 10 things with you, would Flight of the Dragons make the cut? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to need... Well, okay, so do I have media player to play it as well, or does that count as another object? Because that's <laughs> problematic. Yeah, no, I'll give you... That's built into this capsule. Okay, all right. you're being launched into space. Uh, I would think it would... You know what? It would make the um, the dwindling pile. You know, okay. I'm not sure it'd be one of the 10, but it might be one of the 20. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so it would make, it'd make it to 20. Uh-huh. It, why would it not make it to 10? Because you would know it? Uh, yeah, I probably could recite it. Um, also, like, I'm not sure what this space adventure entails. I need a little more information. There might be food involved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're concerned with logistics. If you're asking me if I could bring a dragon with me into space, then that's number one. Okay, sure. for sure. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's a good start. You could just bring Peter and Gorev. Uh, that's pretty awesome. If, you were, if it made the 10... Let's okay. say all your all your physical needs were taken care of, right. and it was really just a matter of ten fun things. Things I like, yeah. Ten sure. things you like. Would you want it on like the crispest newest Blu-ray, or would you want the memory? Would you want a fuzzy old VCR? I would want the crisp Blu-ray because it's already kind of fuzzy as it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it doesn't need any extra so, yeah, fuzzing. No, it's fine. <laughs> cool. If someone said something mean about the Flight of the Dragons at a party, would you fight with them? I would, uh, yes, I think I would have to have words with them. <laughs> have you ever ended up in that position? Uh, it sounds like you've had so many cool, understanding friends who are like, sure, let's check it out. But uh, over all the years, as a kid, at college, your husband, have any of them ever been, I'm glad that you like this, but it is dumb. Boy, I feel like if someone said that, I would just be like, and this conversation's over. <laughs> One of the things that broke my heart in middle school, you know, like fifth grade was awesome and we're playing all these dragon games, right? And then you get to sixth grade and it's like recess isn't about playing anymore. Re- recess is about standing around and talking. Yeah. And that just, I felt robbed. Okay. Like, Come on. <laughs> in general or specifically of dragon play? Of of dragon play, of storytelling. You yeah. Because it was like, no, we're we're cooler than that now. And so... Yeah. Yeah. And you and you felt like no, we're no, not. No, that is the cool thing. What you're doing now is not cool. Is how yeah. I felt. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, now you've made it back. Right. Were yeah. you an action figure person at all? Did you collect action figures? I only collected action figures for things I really liked. So, like you know, I had Egon from Ghostbusters. Okay. Right? <laughs> and I had uh, Doctor Malcolm from Jurassic Park. That's about it. <laughs> That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Because I went through a similar thing with mm-hmm. uh, with action figures. Like okay. recess was hard too. Right. But it was even more with action figures because my brother is three years older than me. Uh-huh. And my parents tried to prepare me for a long time of like, Joshua is going to want to stop playing Star Wars sooner than you. <laughs> so I like I, I thought a lot about like, is it okay to just play action figures by yourself? Mm-hmm. And like, when will it happen? And I expected it to be like almost like some sort of a emotional puberty. Like <laughs> right. my brother would wake up one day and go, no more action figures. And I didn't know how to uh, how to handle that sort of gradual process of. Right, weaning away from yeah, right, and accepting science instead of magic. <laughs> exactly, and I have never successfully accepted See, science. I know it's true. That's good though. Yeah. Do you yeah. have action figures now? Do you still collect them? Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm tortured by them. Okay. Uh, because I do collect them, but I have a hard time taking them out of the package. Oh right. Like right now, so you I have, to have two. Yeah, and uh-huh. I can't. I mean, there's so many that I want. Mm-hmm. I can't afford it time-wise. I can't afford it space-wise in my right. home. 
uh, to have all these action figures. But, like, I have two specific Darth Vader figures, two mm-hmm. specific Ray figures right now, right. Uh, two specific Emperor Palpatine figures that are all like, I got a second one. Right. Specifically so I can take it out of the package. Right. Uh, but maybe this will help because I think um, I think there is, it is so important to keep that sense of play mm-hmm. throughout life. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe the the sciency part, the rules part, mm-hmm. is is uh, ruling me, because I think there's just something about I know how valuable right. the action figures I had as a child in the package are. Right. And I think I'm more conscious of the passage of time, so it seems to me opening something isn't going to take away its value in terms of like resale. Right. But I imagine somebody 50 years from now going, oh man, if I could find a ray. With lightsaber For in sure. package from the Force Awakens, that would be that's such an amazing find, and I feel like I'm taking it away from the wow. future. Oh wow, you are robbing future generations of collectibles. <laughs> I am overthinking toys. That's really a uh, hey, my thing in life. This is the right place for that. Okay. <laughs> Good. So, do you think you think I should open my? Ray action figure? Uh, I think you should do what makes gives you the most joy, right? Okay. Because in 50 years, we might not even have a planet. So enjoy your action figure. That's a really good argument. <laughs> <laughs> I will open it saying the world might die. Exactly. So I'm going to get this Ray action figure out. Have her swing her lightsaber around. <laughs> anyway, back to your obsession instead of my neurotic action figure problems. Uh, would you ever cosplay as a character from Flight of the Dragons at San Diego Comic-Con? Oh, my gosh. That's such a good idea. I don't know why that has never occurred to me <laughs> until just now. Uh, because yeah. costumes are so detailed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> have yeah. you ever done cosplay at uh, Comic-Con? I have. Um, I actually had a lot of fun. I dressed up as a character from a book, and so the only people who recognized me were publishers, which was pretty funny. It's <laughs> a good way to start a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's about the extent of it. I have no sewing skills. I have tried to make costumes. Okay. And I am so bad. Okay. Yeah, I had some bad Ren Faire experiences that way. <laughs> so when you say they're bad, like yeah. ill-fitting or just like uh, don't look like the thing you're trying to make? It's, or They fall apart is more of the issue. <laughs> like so, I wouldn't even know where to begin with something like that. But So were you uh, working at the Ren Faire? No, no. My friends and I were just like, oh, we're going to go a couple summers. And, you know, yeah. no money. Let's make costumes. We can do that. Yeah. How hard is it to use a sewing machine? Apparently very hard. <laughs> <laughs> so is your costume just falling apart? Pretty much, yeah. And they're like, we are going to rent costumes. Like, <laughs> that makes so, sense. But that, yeah. A good decision. Uh, what was your, who did you dress up as when you were uh, a character that only publishers recognize? So this is actually, um, it's from a, a werewolf novel. Her name is Mercy Thompson. Okay. Um, I think you and I talked a little bit about this at Convergence that I, I okay. love werewolves too. And then it all kind of came clear. It's like, oh, it's transformation into an animal. Okay, now see this all like ah, falls into this whole like dragon thing yeah, too. Yeah, right? yeah, of being yeah. still yourself, but also something, something different, something else. Yeah. Okay. So um, Patricia Briggs writes these novels, and okay. I'm a huge fan. So I decided to cosplay as Mercy. Now, were you in a uh, wolf form, or was this in a human no, form? So she, sorry, she's actually a coyote. Um, that. She turns into a coyote. She's a shifter that turns into a coyote. Um, so I just – she has, like, a tattoo of a paw print on her tummy. So I okay. did that. And then I, she's a mechanic, so I dressed up like she is on the front covers of the books in mechanic wear. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, so cool. Yeah. So that was really fun. Yeah. All right. Well, you should definitely do a Flight of the Dragons uh, yeah, costume then since you're, you, you are uh, interested to do cosplay. Because sometimes I ask people this question, like, yeah. I don't dress up. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and you're totally in for I that. I totally embrace that. But um, my question is, how do you get a costume? Like, what do, do people hire people to make these? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah? Is yeah, there like I think a... you can hire people. Okay, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, I think there's obviously the cosplay world where the, the people wearing it made it. Right. Like, you can absolutely just, you know, 
Google cosplayers and, right. and uh, get them to make something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll check that out. And did you say who you'd want to be? Would you? I, I feel like, well, I'd have to be a dragon, so probably, yeah. yeah, probably do Gorbash. Nicole as Gorbash. Nicole as Gorbash, so a little <laughs> bit slimmed down. Not full full body dragon. And also not very good at being a dragon, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great, and you could hand out little pamphlets that say, ask right. me about dragon that's, science. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> could I interest you in how dragons breathe fire? <laughs> I think you could at Comic-Con. <laughs> If the only way you could watch The Flight of the Dragons again is by denying the existence of science, would you do it? Wow. No. I feel like that would be against the spirit of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the movie ultimately does celebrate science. It does. I mean, it, it basically says we need both. Okay. But? We need to protect magic because science can be destructive. But So there's this great part where Carolinas is saying, like, humans need magic to be inspired for science. They look at a fairy oh. flying and they invent airplanes. Stuff like that. They, they look at dragon fire, you know, and they, I forget what they make when they look at dragon fire, but they make something. So, yeah. <laughs> S'mores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So they are more hand in hand in the movie uh, than I thought. So you would not. No, I would not. That is totally understandable. <laughs> uh, I know you're married now, but in the past, would you have ended a romantic relationship with someone who hated Flight of the Dragons? Wow. Man. I don't think I would have ended it. I think I would have looked at as my quest to make this person understand why the movie's amazing. Okay. Right. So it would have been a teachable moment. Right. Right. A little bit of, <laughs> exactly. A little bit of clockwork orange eyelids open thing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to watch Flight of the Dragons right. and you were going to learn. <laughs> uh, if you went to a showing of Flight of the Dragons, but they're like it was being shown in the movie theater, mm-hmm. which I imagine you haven't seen I it. I have, though. You have? Okay, have, good. All right. Yeah. I want to hear about that. Okay, and was, then I'll get back to the question. Sure, sure. No, there was a double feature with um, Last Unicorn, and um, it was at the, um, what is it called? Is it the Egyptian Theater? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when I, my husband saw it for the first time, like you're going to see on the big screen. Okay, so, with yeah. other humans. With other humans. Did the other humans react the way that you felt they should have? Did well, they laugh at things that you didn't think were supposed to be funny? Yeah, there were a couple laughs at things that maybe weren't supposed to be funny. Yeah. You know, like when they say, you have to release some gas. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, guys, you're <laughs> talking about dragons. Um, but, Immature uh, assholes. Yeah, come on. Um, and then, you know, there were some people talking, which they got very stern looks. Okay. Um, but it was really exciting to see it with a bunch of people because I felt like there was just a kinship there. There are people that chose to be there. It's the second part of the you know double feature, so oh, wow. it's late night. Yeah, and um, and there was there was an excitement in the room. People were really drawn in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you would be excited to see it again. Yeah, on the big screen for sure. Okay, so imagine it's being shown. Okay, like in your favorite theater, wherever that is. All right. Uh, but you get there and there's a bear okay. between you and the door. Oh my gosh. Would you try to get around the bear? No, I would not try to get around the bear. <laughs> what if you came up with a science solution? If I could, yes, okay. So if I if I knew the kind of meat that the bear wanted and the exact trajectory to throw it so I could get past him, yes, I would do that. <laughs> right, that might be my new favorite answer to this question. <laughs> if I knew the meat trajectory. <laughs> That's actually a good band name, too. It's a great band name. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to Google meat trajectory when I get home. Oh, wait. So that's another thing. So, okay. So when I watched the movie, um, at one point a character says, imagine dragons. And I was like, I wonder if that's where that band name took it from. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If we could find out. Yeah. Uh Uh, That seems Googleable. Okay. Uh, Is it just those two words? Or is it part of a larger sentence? it's part of a sentence, but I feel like there's a pause because it made my ear go, hey, wait. Okay. Yeah. And you you rediscovered that in your most recent rewatch? Most recent rewatch, yeah. Okay. Uh Cool. Cool. Uh, when? How long ago was the showing at the Egyptian? I want to say two years ago, maybe. Two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Did you stay and chat with anybody about it? 
I didn't. Um, there are a lot of uh, last unicorn people there. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that Flight of Dragons was really represented in that regard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I hope you get to see it with just Flight of the Dragons people. <laughs> I will vet them properly. <laughs> <and then laughs> Junk last unicorn people. Who wants that? Come on. <laughs> If every time you watched Flight of the Dragons, a dragon appeared in our reality, yes. would that be a pro or a con for you? That would be a pro. <laughs> we need more dragons. I think that's the problem with the world. That's the problem, huh? What kind of? How do you think the world would be different if you sat down, you watched Flight of the Dragons 25 times in a row, and right. suddenly there were 25 dragons? And the dragons in the movie are good and bad, right? They're just... They're, right. they're not one thing or the other. They're just dragons. They're just dragons. They're mostly good, um, but they get brainwashed by the evil wizard. So yeah. They, yeah. As happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's a risk. Day-to-day life. Um, but yeah, no, the dragons are like us, and uh, they're really proud to be dragons. At one point, like, one of the dragons is like, is there a creature more amazing than a dragon? You know, it's like they, they're aware of their awesomeness. Okay. Oh, so they're all yeah. a little vain? They are, and they sleep on piles of gold. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Okay. So if there were dragons, you you reacted immediately that it would be good. Yeah. And obviously it's you love dragons. I do. So I, I'm not going to get you to say anything against dragons, certainly. Sorry. <laughs> Which is fine. <laughs> uh, but what do you think the actual effect on the world would be? Because we had a nice conversation about the realities. Right of really being a dragon in the real world for serious times. It's it's funny because you ask me this question and I'm like, oh, well, here's the world that I would create with these dragons. And then I realized the question you're actually asking is, in real- reality, if these dragons showed up, oh, it'd suck. It'd suck <laughs> for the dragons. They'd be hunted and they'd be put on display and, like, there would be, you know, save the dragons, don't interact with them societies, and then there would be, like, kill the dragons societies and nobody would agree on anything because nobody can anymore. <laughs> so that's sad, but... If we could go to, like, um, an island, like, I don't know, off of Scotland or something. Oh, and, yeah. And have dragons there. Yeah. Unless that's, like, Jurassic Park with dragons. I don't know. <laughs> the Isle of Dragons? Yeah, yeah that'd right? be great. Yeah. But in, in some ways, I I like that idea of if you introduce dragons, right. it would be just like our normal world. Right. But with a little more magic in it. That'd be awesome. And the dragons would have to steal all the gold to sleep. Right. There's so that. So it, it would disrupt the economy. Have you read Naomi Novik's books about dragons, Mm-mm. the Temeraire series? Okay, it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's dragons living with humans. Okay. Um, and she just does a really good job of making that real. Okay, so. cool, cool. Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What noise sums up your, your love of oh Flight of the Dragons? Gosh, I feel like I need to really think about this. This is... <laughs> it's an important question. Oh, man. Uh, I feel like if I could make the noise, do I have to make the noise, or can I just say what it would be? Well, why don't you start out by describing it and then see if you feel comfortable making it? I will try try to make it. I feel like what you need is like that, um, the triumph dragon roar. And none of the dragons really roar too much in this except for Briag, who doesn't talk, but I feel like there would be a triumphant dragon roar. Okay, a yeah. triumphant dragon roar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you comfortable doing that, or would you like me to try to do it for you? Um, actually, I think we should both try it. I'd like to hear yours first. Okay. And then, okay. A triumphant dragon roar. Right, Okay. Uh-huh. That's awesome. I like that. <laughs> Good. I'm trying not to kill your mic, okay? Okay. How's that? <laughs> That's great. I have no shame. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. Uh, I rate people's obs- obsessions okay. on a scale of one to seven, just because I like seven. How serious is it, doctor? It's not, I, I think you're going to live. I think you're going to make it. Uh, yeah, so one being the lowest, uh-huh. seven being the highest. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I'm going to put you at, like, uh, right around six. Okay, wow, cool. Uh, and I am convinced to put you a little bit higher uh-huh. uh, because you do have a lot of things of, like, well, no, I'm not going to do that, or of course not. No, I'm not going to fight a bear. Uh, but 
I do feel like it is clearly a huge part of your DNA. Mm-hmm. And obviously, your husband seemed to see that <laughs> right. as well. Uh, but yeah, that obviously it contributed to where you went yeah. in life, and uh, it can in terms of being an animation writer. Mm-hmm. But also those kind of larger philosophical ideas seem like they bore into your your young child mind. <laughs> I know. Wow, <laughs> and stayed man. there. Animation does make a difference. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great segue uh, to our plugs. So, um, what do you have coming up that uh, you'd like people to know about? Oh, um, okay. Well, there's a series I worked on for Lego, um, Lego Elves, which okay. will be coming out on Netflix, I think, in September, um, where I got to write in a magical realm with dragons. So, kind wow. of like dream come true, right? Yeah. And um, I'm, as I said, I'm on uh, My Little Pony right now. Um, I've got these uh, books that I'm co-writing with Michael Vogel um, that are Cutie Mark Crusader My Little Pony books. <laughs> nice. Check those out. Um, yeah, I think that's about it that's out right now that I can talk about. Okay. Yeah. And are the books, are they young adult books? Are they no. uh, big 400-page crunchy novels? They're tiny. They're young reader novels, so they're about um, 10,000 words. Okay, So, you cool. know, you can just read them real fast. Okay, <laughs> I will pick those up. And uh, where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I think I'm just Nicole Dubuque at Twitter. Um, I'm there. And that's probably the best way to find me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would suggest following Nicole because I think your Twitter <laughs> feed is great. Lots of uh, lots of uh, fun insights oh, into awesome. the world of animation. Thank and you. I've learned a lot just by following you, which is awesome. Here's some uh, quick plugs for this show, and then we'll move on to our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can check out my pop culture comedy station on Anchor called Headcanon. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episodes. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, so here are some final questions. They don't have anything to do with your obsession, but they can if you want. Okay. If you could be an Olympic champion at anything, what would you want to be a champion of? Swimming. Absolutely. Swimming. Yeah. Okay. Do you watch the Olympics? I do. I love the Olympics. Yeah. So... And it's the specifically the swimming that uh, that captures your imagination? Yeah, because I swim with the Masters team in Pasadena. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm never going to be anywhere near as good as those Olympians. And when I see them do that, I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that. So, yeah, but yeah. you you obviously understand it better than, than people watching if you actually do it yourself. I guess in the sense that I'm like, that's so cool that they can do it that fast. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and technique. Yeah, but you understand, like, all the different strokes in, like, the... Do you get into the physics of it, the science of it, of where you're <laughs> Just like the magic, no. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of swimming? Um, no, not as much as I should. But like you know, I can see if it's if it's a good you know dive off the block or you know or why they do what they do on their turns. Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of the meat trajectory of the dive. You right. know, like that was yes. a good one. <laughs> meat trajectory. <laughs> if you were an action figure, what accessories would you come with? Oh man, these are good questions. I like them. Um, I feel like I feel like I would need a bow staff. I think that would be a good thing to have. <laughs> I feel like if I actually had one in real life, people would take me more seriously when I walk into meetings, too. Like, oh, if you absolutely. just had a bow staff, right? Yeah, and you just stomp it stomp to call it. Yeah. things to order. That'd be amazing. Okay. Um, and then, you know, while we're doing that, let's let's get some Hawkwoman wings in there, too. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you could sort of transform. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, wow. Yeah, you could fly. You got me figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never have guessed the bow staff, but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> The final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? What is happiness? Okay. Um, like the physical manifestation or should I just like what makes you happy or what? Yeah, yeah. However you want to interpret it. Okay. All right. Well, I feel like happiness is that it's actually a feeling that you get in your chest. It's kind of a tightness and a lightness at the same time. And it makes you want to like just laugh and cry at the same time. Okay. Like that's what happiness feels like. 
And that happens when you're doing something that you emotionally connect with and love deeply or you're with people that you love deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are moments sometimes when you've, you've written a script you're really proud of and you just you feel that feeling or like, you know, you hug someone you love and you feel that feeling. Yeah. That's happiness for me. So like almost an explosion of emotion. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really like a tightness in your chest. It's, it's almost like what you would do when you cry, but it's the happy version of that. Yeah. So happiness is happy, almost crying. Right. Right. <laughs> I think that is a great and insightful answer. Okay. Thank cool. you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Awesome. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So here's another line from Flight of Dragons that I will do my best uh, dragon imitation, right? Uh, What good is he? What good is he? What good is he? That's great. That's amazing. I know I'm cast now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which character is that? That's actually Gorbash before he's... Gorbash Peter. Gorbash finds out that Peter basically sucks. Why is he on the quest? Okay.